mini-episode 1450 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at Sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late-night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode 1450. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here. I have a fellow FDH Lounge original dignitary with me, my good friend Chris Galloway. And uh, we are going through, this is something I think we've probably done every year the last couple of years after the Brown season. And you have to go back in history. We're going to do a little bit of a post-mortem on this. Like, this wouldn't have really made sense to do 1999 to 2015 because it was a bad team. But it was, was it any more colorful than, say, the Detroits or Jacksonvilles of the world? I mean, those were bad teams, but they weren't, like, standout bad. Go to 2016. Hugh Jackson gets here. It coincides with uh, Sashi Brown, and, and that is basically like the Haley's Comet of shite, those two coming together. And uh, the team goes 1-15 and and then 0-16. So all of a sudden, it's a national thing. This is It's not America's team, but it's America's most interesting team, America's most interesting dumpster fire. 2018, uh, they, they do the uh, the HBO show on it, did a little documentary here, and uh, Hard Knocks, and uh, the team actually rebounds the second half of the season after they fired Hugh Jackson. Go figure. So it's a great story coming off of 2018. 2019 is a down year. 2020, nobody's expecting much of anything. New coach, new general manager. Boom, team makes the playoffs. 2021, which we're on to now. Expectations, but uh, right back down like 2019. Even less explicable in 2019 because supposedly all the lessons had been learned from that as far as the coach and general manager and all of that. So this whole roller coaster ride of the last couple of years culminating in the last four years of the Browns being essentially like Brett Saberhagen of the 80s where every other year the guy would be like a Cy Young candidate and the next year he would get shelled relentlessly. Well, I think if I remember, Chris, I think... Saberhaven was the opposite. I think he did it in the odd years, not the even years. But uh, be that as it may, uh, it sucks to have uh, our beloved Cleveland Browns be in the same kind of spot as this. Theoretically, it would mean 2022 they're due for a a bounce back. But uh, And again, this team has proven you can never tell what's going to happen the next year based on what you just saw. But based on the flaming dumpster fire that we saw this past year, it's hard to have a whole lot of confidence in the bounce back next year because with all the talent they had, it still got squandered. There is a lot to unpack there, uh, Rick. First of all, all the numerology uh, sort of references. Yes. Uh, here on here on two twenty two twenty two. Yes, Ricky, the numbers uh, guy. Does that does that mean today is Johnny Manziel Day for Cleveland Browns fans? Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe, maybe it is fitting. And secondly, I never thought I'd hear a Brett Saberhagen reference. Um, prior to the start of, of your monologue, but uh, you get anything wow, from me. That, you that never know what to expect. Back. You never know what I, to expect with me. Uh, wow! Yes, and and then I would I would say that um, 
your your whole uh, you know it's going to be an even year. The Browns bouncing back. They're not the San Francisco Giants, right? Um, there's no there's no even year winning a championship. You know, kind of nonsense uh, right. to expect out of this team. Um, I will say though that there was one person who expected good things uh, when Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski were hired, and that was yours truly. So yes. when you say no one expected that, okay, there was one. There was one guy. Okay, I will say this though. I will caution you, and this is nothing you don't already know. But as a guy who likes to take victory laps myself, uh, I get it thrown back in my face when things go the other way. So. God help us all if the Cavs go into a big injury spiral at the end of this year or next year. A lot of people are going to have stuff to throw back in my face. But as far as it goes, and I did, again, I picked the Browns to win the Super Bowl this year, so people have been throwing stuff in my face ever since then. And, uh, again, fair enough because, again, the way that this thing fell apart, we're going to cover this. I think there's people want to put a nice, neat bow on things of, like, why things happen. We're, We're going to look at things, and it's much easier to assign blame which we're going to be doing a lot of, than to actually explain why. Because there's a lot of things that went wrong, and I don't know why they went wrong. I guess the coaches, that would be the most obvious area right here of, like, I don't know why these guys forgot to do things the way they're supposed to be doing things, you know? So we're going to get into, uh, you know, assigning blame, breaking this down, whatever, getting to the whole pie chart of blame. But, it, but as far as actual reasons why, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be grasping a lot more on that kind of stuff because I don't know why half these people did the stupid things they did this past season. Yeah, this season there was certainly a lot of regression in, in certain areas that is sort of inexplicable. I don't think, and again, I think we both, after you, going after last year, felt that and even going into last year, I know you had question marks about Stefanski that maybe I didn't. Um, uh, and I say this going into his first year. Yeah. But we both agreed that top to bottom, the coaching staff on paper was greatly improved. Yeah. Um, and then and then, in Stefanski's first year, we saw that play out. And, and at the end of the year, when we did this recap, you know, we were both in agreement that this is a team that's ascending. The coaches were... Showing, you know, it was showing what good coaching could do. You know, our our whole uh, mantra under the Hugh Jackson era was was more so that you know that was an exa- that was a colossal failure of coaching because those teams were not that bad, right? Um, under Hugh Jackson, I mean, it took a real special level of incompetence um, to go one in thirty one. It really did, right? Um, and, and and so. Um, I think after that, you know, after the previous season, we felt, you know, getting, you know, taking the Chiefs to the wire in the playoffs, um, you know, realistically, they probably, you know, a couple bad calls by the referees and maybe they win that game in, in, in Kansas City. Right. You know, what happened this past season, um, to your point, I think is it's not one thing. Right. Um, I, I think you can assign some blame to the coaches, although I don't think coaches just suddenly forgot how to coach or how to call plays. Um, although I think there was some of that. I was somewhat disappointed with Stefanski's play calling last year versus the year prior. I thought the year prior he was really outstanding in terms of calling an offense, and then this year – as you know, we talked about midseason. I suggested to you on one episode that you know down the stretch in that last six or seven games that they really ought to consider 
he ought to re- consider relinquishing play calling duties and, and and almost make it a week by week thing. Take a step back, watch, you know, have some perspective, uh, watch what's going on, and, and allow and allow your OC to call the game. Um, mostly because just to keep the other team off balance. I, right. I didn't think that was the craziest idea. If the team doesn't know who's calling the plays, they don't know the tendencies. Right. Um, and, and so I thought that might have helped them a little more. So I, I was disappointed in Stefanski's play calling. I, I think that, that that he's a guy who will, in the offseason, step back and do a lot of homework and try to figure out what went wrong and what he did wrong. I, I do. So I think there is some blame there. Although part of that comes back to, you know, we didn't have a good sense of what was going on in in that clubhouse uh, this year. And and I wonder if if there were a lot of factors that affected his play calling that we just didn't know about. You know, we learned today Jarvis Landy dropping this information that he was badly hurt this year and came back earlier than he should have, tried to play, never said a word about it to the public. I don't recall him ever, any of those injuries that he listed today, him being listed as doubtful for or questionable on on week to week. Um, So I do have to question whether or not the Browns may be in trouble on hiding an injury there if he's being truthful or if he's just not being truthful at the moment so that he can sort of try to put himself in a better light since he's going to be working his way out of town. So who knows? There clearly were issues in that clubhouse. Um, there was smoke that there was division within that locker room this year. And, yeah. and maybe it's in some ways kind of that simple. I'll say this. I mean, as the season went on, that defense got better and better. Uh, you know, I don't, you know, other than some, you know, some, some defensive beats, clearly a few minor ones, that, that defense was playing championship caliber defense by the end of the year. Um, there's just... There's no other way around that. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't feel it was championship caliber. I think that's a, a, a gross. That's one of the big things we're going to disagree on. I think that's a gross overstatement on your part. Uh, yeah, I respect the opinion. I just. I don't share it. I mean, they. 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 They clawed their way back to yes. They were above average a decent chunk of the time. You know, the second half of the season. Uh, after being, and again, I was a guy on Twitter calling for Joe Woods to be flung into uh, Lake Erie via a giant catapult, especially after the Arizona game. I mean, there were outings that basically, uh, you know, if, if any outings could get you fired, Joe Woods probably had five of them before this team started to turn around. So, uh, you know, I I don't agree with you I, really on, on Woods. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll also respectfully disagree with you uh, in that sense that, you know, Cincinnati – Cleveland had a better defense than Cincinnati, um, yeah. and and they rose to the occasion and to get them to the Super Bowl. And, and I and as I said, I'm talking I'm talking down the stretch. I, I felt that the team did everything you know did everything well in terms of holding their opponents to uh, you know low point totals. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. What are you holding someone to score? And, yeah, and they were getting it done. To the degree that we should have absolutely expected several more wins. Well, I think they held the Detroit Lions to ten points, so I'll say bravo if you want me to say bravo for that. But uh, I mean, it just—I I look at it. I'm a lot more cynical on how I look at it. Like, oh, after the defense helped uh, in large part piss away the season on the first half of the season. Once we got to the back end here, they started to play better. Once. 
you know, the season was basically lost already. Well, again, bravo for that. I mean, I'll, I'll move Joe Woods down from big share of the blame to moderate share of the blame based on the second half of the season. And I'm not calling for his head anymore like I was the first half of the year, uh, if for no other reason than continuity. Uh, Stefanski, the way that it comes out, I mean, I, I would say probably, and I agree with just about everything you said there, I mean, moderate share of the blame, I, I would say. I mean, is that, is that the category you would probably put him in? Because I would. Yeah, I would say. I mean, look. At the end of the day, when you are the when you are the head coach, you have a you have a ton of responsibility. It's it's at the end of the day, it's look. It's your it's your fault. Doesn't matter, right? right? I mean, it just doesn't matter. So, you know, I think Stefanski gets more blame than anybody, and and I'm saying that as a you know as a Kevin Stefanski advocate and fan. Um, well, there's a player I'm going to put a lot more on than Stefanski, but we'll get to him. Or two, but, two players. Uh, well, two no, players. no, yeah, but I, I, I think, I mean, you're asking me about blame, and I'm right. saying no matter what happens, a head coach, you're you're the captain. You're in, you're in charge of the ship. Yes. Um, the, not just, you know, play calling, but, you know, is your defense progressing as the season goes on in terms of getting better? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I he's going to end up, being number one in terms of taking blame because if you're doing well and you're giving credit like he got the year before then you have to take a similar amount of blame on this go around right like Agreed. The, the best example i can give is baker mayfield should have been should have been sat and not allowed to play and there were many of us fans who could see this yes and were screaming it that basically the arizona game on he shouldn't have been playing Agreed. And 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 that I mean that was week six, right? I mean, and and we could see it that he was busted up and not well, and he should have sat. And Stefanski should have had the balls to yeah. be a leader and tell his quarterback, who it's pretty clear didn't want to sit. You need to get better, and we're gonna we're gonna try to roll this thing with with Keenum. Now I'm not saying that. You know, have the surgery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, maybe it was a function of like, we're going to sit you for five weeks right. and let you rest properly, right? And let you and let you look, let you watch and game plan and, and get your head back and get it right. And 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 you know, and and you're telling me that you're telling me that Case Keenum. I mean, he started the Denver game, um, and we got the win. Uh, and again, that was lackluster in terms of game. But again, you're, you're, it, Denver's a you know formidable opponent um, defensively. Defense, yeah, yeah defensively. And, and so Keenum came in for a guy who basically hadn't played two years and, and got the job done, and, and they got and they got a win. I mean, you're telling me Keenum couldn't have scored more than 15 points the following week against Pittsburgh, right? I that mean, he could, that he could, that he could have done worse than what they did at New England. That he right. could have managed more than 13 points against Detroit or 10 against Baltimore. I mean, I just don't buy it. I don't think fans do. No. So that to me comes back to that comes back to Stefanski when they should have said, Baker, you're hurt. And in multiple places, we fans didn't know that he had several injuries. You know, they were talking about his shoulder. We all knew that, but we right. didn't know about the, the groin injury and the heel injury initially. I mean, he should have said, you're on, you're, you're resting. That's the smart, that's the smart long-term move. Right. Um, so that's on him. I mean, that is so on him. 
And 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 I what bothers me there is not that he's you know he decided that Baker was still their best option. You know sometimes you just you just it, it, what I worry about is were you in control of this team or were you letting the front office and ownership dictate that you've got to play Baker or were you letting your quarterback bully you? Like, did you, I mean, I, I want my head coach to be in charge. Right. And I wonder that he, I wonder and worry that he wasn't. No, he clearly wasn't. Uh, I'm going to say quarter quarterback bullied him. And listen, based on everything that has happened since they've owned the team, to me, the Haslam's are guilty until proven innocent. We don't know anything that happened there, but based on their track record, I'm going to go ahead and say I think they were pressuring Stefanski to keep him in as well. And it's a thing where, again, Case Keenum has a much higher floor, a much higher floor than an injured Baker. This we saw, and, and it, it's backed up in the games that you cited right there. People didn't want to sit uh, Baker because of the ceiling. Those were dumb people because they didn't realize Baker is not going to come anywhere near his ceiling in the physical condition he's in. And also with, uh, let's face it, some of the regression that he was having as well. Some of the ghosts that he was seeing, late stage Mark Sanchez as far as seeing ghosts, not seeing guys open. And I'm not counting the Odell stuff. We'll get to that later. But it is a thing where, you know, the, the moment during this season, the defining moment of this season, it was the second game. You're coming off of the, uh, the the Kansas City game. It was disappointing to lose that game, but even though I picked this team to go 13-4, and four, go ahead and snicker, everybody, that's one of the four that I had in there going into this. The next two games to me were very alarming because you didn't get 60 minutes on both sides of the football against Houston and Chicago. And if you can't do that against the dregs, what are you going to do later in the season? It's what I said to you at the time, and it manifested itself. But it was in the Chicago game, I believe, where uh, Baker, uh, that, that was the moment where he took that hit and everything went to crap. That was the, you know, uh, Eve eating the apple in the Garden of Eden for this season. And, of course, if this was a Roger Goodell-produced broadcast, it would be Eve eating the apple sponsored by Washington Delicious Apples. But, uh, you know, this is a thing where that moment, is when everything came apart. That is the that is the before and after, and it was you know the season had barely gotten going when it happens. Multiple stupid things. You had Schwartz, who was a very nice decoy in the opener against Kansas City, but still very much a gadget player at this point. Oh, let's send him deep. Let's let's send him deep instead of DPJ. You know, I mean, I, I, again, the thinking that went into the play call. You send him deep. He does the alligator arms thing in a very cowardly fashion so he doesn't get uh, murdered. And then it goes for an interception, of course. And then Baker compounds it by making the tackle and screwing up his shoulder. And that's one of the things, the bitter irony of all of that is we all held our breaths because we were thinking to ourselves, oh, man, oh, the season could be over. If Baker goes down, the season could be over. Do you realize, Chris, if Baker went down in that moment, this team probably wins nine games or ten games because of the higher floor of Case Keenum. That's the terrible irony of this, is that we had the corpse of Baker Mayfield the rest of the season, and that's what doomed this season, among other things. Well, I, I think that's correct. I think the higher floor um, with Keenum as a backup um, was a missed opportunity. You're, you're 100% right about that. And, and Baker was... You know, everybody likes to talk about how Baker was really good prior to the injury, and I'm like, no, he wasn't. 
Um, in week one, uh, Kansas City was not a good defense at all. Right. Um, I, I was already right out of the gate seeing, again, I mentioned this to you repeatedly throughout the season, uh, the bad footwork that I was seeing. Yes. Just horrible footwork, um, which leads to bad mechanics. And then that's compounded badly when you're when you're injured, right? So, so you take something that you can maybe get away with when you're healthy, um, I don't, you know, to me, I don't know what happened there. Again, you talk about, you talk about the player and you talk about the coaching. That was an emphasis the year before going in, the footwork and cleaning that up, the things that they identified. Then we got into this season and it was, they never talked about it and Baker regressed and it didn't seem like they were even attempting to try to address it. Right. So when we talk about coaching, we're sitting there watching this going, what what happened to the you know what what did Baker do in the offseason? Did he just erase right everything from the year before? And the coaches didn't come back to it. And maybe they did. Maybe Baker was maybe Baker was just not willing to listen. I don't know. But you know, yeah, your point your point is well taken. That this team, I think, if we had been forced to play that whole rest of that season, you know, week three on with Keenum, you know, probably we. I mean, a team that won eight games probably would have at least won two more. Yeah. The team had enough talent and probably would have won two more games. Yeah. So therefore, 10 games, I mean, 10 wins, they get in. Yes. And again, and you're not going to the Super Bowl with Keenum, but you, you've at least not made this a wasted year. It at least remains a year that is a potential stepping stone to next year. It's something where we would, we would have kind of given them a little bit of a mulligan. Like, oh, okay, well, you, you did all this without Baker. Then you're going to have Baker coming back. You wouldn't have had all the damage uh, as far as Baker's psyche, the regression. Alex Van Pelt, if we're going to be assigning blame here, I'm going to throw him in the moderate category as well. He's one of the quieter figures in all of this. He doesn't call plays on game day. I agree with you. He should have been. That said, he didn't blow me away. He didn't blow my hair back the game against, uh, I think it was the Raiders. Now, he was dealing with Nick Mullins, so there was that. But it wasn't the uptick in game calling that you and I were looking for. Plus, as I'm looking at the depth chart of coaches, they don't really have a quarterback coach per se. I think it goes right to Alex Van Pelt, and he is a former quarterback himself. He, you know, if, if, if Baker's footwork is regressing, then that's where I'm kind of looking. I mean, is any of the things that were wrong with Baker mechanically in the way that he's kind of coming apart? Again, it may sound paradoxical that I would have liked to see AVP calling more plays just because I think he couldn't have done a worse job than Stefanski was as the year was going on. He was in way over his head. He clearly had too much on his plate. It may sound paradoxical to say that and to say that I fault him for some of the for, for the coaching part of Baker's regression, but I do hold to both of those at the same time. Yeah, I don't think that's unfair. I think the only thing about that is that you can't criticize him for the Las Vegas game because, again, Mullins. I mean, that's that's tough. Sure. Um, you're you're really limiting what you're able to do there in terms of the playbook and, and the player having having not played with the team, started with the team, really practiced with the team. That's tough. True. Um, that that limits what you're doing, and then and then. Um, you know, I and again, he, it's not like he could go to Stefanski and go, "Okay, I'm just taking over." Right. Uh, you know, here, here I am. I'm Al Haig. I mean, you know, right? Um, Stefanski clearly was was sort of obstinate about unwilling to loosen his grip, and we don't know. Also, we don't know. Maybe he asked AVP to take over more of the um, 
you know, design of, of the offense during the week. And, and, you know, for all we know, maybe this was, you know, maybe not his play calls, but maybe this was AVP's game plan. We don't know what, we don't know internally if Stefanski handed any of that over, you know, to try to lighten the load. Yeah. Um, again, back to, we don't know. And, and, and so that's possible, but I would agree with you that, you know, look, Alex Van Pelt was a quarterback's coach for, for, for uh, Aaron Rodgers. We know Aaron Rodgers loved him as a quarterback's coach. He, you know, he clearly has a skill set for it. And, and Baker's regression, I think it does fall at his feet. Huh, pun intended. Yes. Um, it, 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 that's because that's an area where he clearly, if you are calling the plays, and the and the head coach is taking on a, a greater uh, responsibility in terms of the offense during the week, that's where your focus needs to be. So I don't know what went wrong. Something went wrong. Um, that to your point in the beginning of this uh, episode, we, we it's hard to put our finger on it because unlike in years past, in some ways, and this is probably not a bad thing. We do have less data points coming out of Berea, less talking, less leaking. We used to get a lot more leaking, and now we don't get as much, so we don't know as much. So we're sort of left to speculate when things go wrong like they did this year. Yes. Uh, You know, that being said, you know, this team had talent. This team was competitive most weeks, um, even if they underwhelmed. And they were in most games and had an opportunity to, to not regress. The, the lost opportunity when you talk about Keenum really falls to the fact that think about what the psyche is right now going into the offseason. This team went from feeling like it was ascending to, you know, that a lot of people picked for the Super Bowl. I did. I had them losing to San Francisco. You had them winning the Super Bowl. But we weren't, we weren't homers here. Right. There were, there were people in the national media that were picking them to go to the Super Bowl. They were a trendy pick, and there was a reason for that. Um, And and, and so, you know, when when you fall flat like this, what is the psyche on the team? We're already seeing it in the offseason. You know, we we started seeing it with the OBJ situation where there were clearly rifts in the locker room. Now we see fans just, I mean, all over Landry, I mean, they're hating on OBJ. They're hating on Landry. They're criticizing Baker for, I mean, not being at the NBA All-Star game. I mean, fans are reading every little thing into anything now, and it's negative, right? Right. It's not positive like the year before. Right. Every little thing is now being, is being going through a negative prism. And what I worry is that becomes a drag on the fact that suddenly – Cleveland was a place where players were like, I want to go there. Right. They've got a great young GM. Look at their coach, you know, coach of the year. They've got a great new up and coming roster. This is a place where I really could see myself deciding to go and wanting to play. Now you get that old Cleveland feeling again in the offseason. Backbiting. It's negative. The backsliding. And so now there's a sense around this team that the ship isn't right. Cleveland's old ailments are starting to come back out. What's wrong with the Browns? You know, and I think that's going to affect this team going into next season, the psyche. And it also may affect who they can attract if they go out on the market and try to bring in a few players. Yeah. So I think to your point, not just missing the playoffs, but what's happened in terms of the locker room change 
is real. I mean, and Landry's sort of, you know, angling on, on social media today is, is a prime example. Uh, I just, I, I don't like, I don't like where all of that is going around the team. And that in part comes then back to the, coach, the head coach in the front office to say, what went wrong and what are you doing to fix this? I, I agree with that, and uh, we'll talk about this in a second, and I want to expand on the uh, Landry thing. It is one of these things that almost makes you feel like it's a zero-sum world on the North Coast, because prior to the season, signing here, somebody like John Johnson III, excellent example of what you were talking about. Very talented player, saw what was here, wanted to come here, wanted to be a part of this thing, whatever. Uh, now, that ain't the kind of case, but... This happened very recently on the North Coast. You know who said something like that and was happy to come play on the North Coast? A guy named Karis LeVert. So it's a zero-sum right. game. You know, it can only happen with one team at a time, apparently. And uh, Well, as, and, and Karis, another guy, he grew up in Columbus, right? Yes, yes. So he's a younger guy who grew up with LeBron coming of age and the Cavs. Was probably a Cavs fan. Has anybody even asked him? He probably was. I think so. You know, I mean... You know, you grow up in Columbus, and there's a kid from Akron playing in Cleveland. I mean, that's probably a bit of a draw. Um, but you know, Joe Johnson is a great example. And I and I saw a couple quotes out of him in the off season, right after the year was done, and it was, you know, there was clearly a, you know, he didn't trash anybody, but you could tell in his tone and his comments that it was sort of like, you know, it was almost like I did I, you know, sort of like did I make a mistake? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, right. I mean, yeah. and, and that and that's what bothers me is that you know your team leaders like that, a veteran like that, who excitedly was excited to come here, is now sort of acting like, well, I, maybe I made a mistake. That's a, that's going to be a problem. And then when you have OBJ telling you know you're t- telling uh, Miller don't don't go to Cleveland, right? You know the fact that Miller put that out into the ether, right? For all these guys, and you know, and look, say what we, you know, we as fans, how that's how we feel about OBJ, you know, which is, you know, <laughs> not good. Right. Um, you know, clearly these players love the guy. I mean, so I mean, there is there is a real disconnect to how fans see OBJ, and clearly front offices, um, and, and and players for whatever reason, OBJ is a, you know, he's an icon with them, even with his contemporaries. And it, he doesn't seem to be able to do anything wrong. Um, and so when now they see in the press OBJ's like, don't go to Cleveland, you know, that's going to hurt. It is. It is. Uh, now, with Von Miller, though, I mean, he's a smart guy. So, like, him saying that, I, I, I kind of question whether or not that was – that might have been something where he was putting something out there about OBJ, that OBJ's the kind of guy that would say something like that because clearly OBJ would prefer to get away with that quietly and Von Miller didn't let him. So that might have been intentional, might not have been. I will say yeah, also – Yeah, but would Von Miller have done that? I mean, they're friends. Like, why, why would okay. he do that? I don't know. Why would this... he do that to a friend and a guy that he's now on a team with? I mean, well, I agree with you. When it first came out, I had a sense of – well, that's kind of throwing a confidential yes. conversation, like throwing my man under the bus. Exactly. Uh, you know, it, like very awkwardly. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I, geez, I don't know. You but, know, I, it's, it was an odd comment for him to make public. But I think it, regardless of what his motivations were, it's now out there. 
players who who are looking who are free agents or whatnot, you know, they're gonna look at they're gonna look at Cleveland and they're gonna because of their reverence for OBJ, you know, they're gonna pause and go and then you see Joe Johnson sort of make a reference almost like, Did I make a mistake? It, it's like, boy, what's wrong with you know, what is wrong with Cleveland? Well, you know what, maybe I should not go there. Maybe well, I, maybe we were wrong about Cleveland. I, I, again, I just, I just think that that has the potential to unravel what was really starting to be look like a really good core. So let's let's go from there. Let's let's. I, I, I mean, I want to ask. I'm going to ask you the question for once. How about yeah. this? All right. Um, I mean, there's a rift in this locker room somewhere, and, yeah. and and they can say there isn't, but there clearly is. Yeah. And it, it certainly seemed to me that that rift was exposed when OBJ's camp i mean they could say his father but it was obj yes um when they threw baker under the bus yes mid mid-season um and the fact that he you know had been asking to to be traded out of there and obviously with his salary and injury history the, the, the browns weren't gonna be able to find a trade partner for him right um and so and, a, and clearly a bunch of players took obj's side on that right and um, and then we learn, you know, at the end of the season that when the, once the Browns were out and the Rams were still in it, that that OBJ and Baker still had never talked. Sure. So and we heard in season there were rumblings that you know there were a couple of reports that the African American players in the locker room had checked out on Baker, like they were like they were yes. done with him. Yes, and and so now I gotta, you know, I, I, you know, is it was there a lot of that, and not a little bit of that? I mean, what do you think? I mean, there's something to all this. I was just about to give you my best Jen Saki there, and be like, is there a question in there somewhere? Because that was a heck of a yeah. lead up. But uh, I know, I know. I know. All right. I, just, I just, you know, I, I'm trying to frame it. <laughs> but I, well, know, don't you think there's something there? Yes, there is, and and this is going to be a compendium of an answer. This is going to be one where I might need to take several breaths here because I'm going to throw a lot of people under the bus here to varying degrees. And and in smaller ways, uh, somebody like your buddy Greg Newsom here, uh, again, waving the, the, the Matadors flag at Browns fans during the Super Bowl. Oh, OBJ, oh, oh, how can you get mad at me for cheering for OBJ? Greg Newsom purposely baiting Browns fans. He knew what he was doing with that. I mean, I didn't, you know, respond to it or anything, but uh, I, I, I did respond when uh, Mac Wilson was out there uh, criticizing Browns fans. I was like, oh, the guy who can cuss Nick Chubb wants to lecture us about what's good for the Browns. You know, that's, uh, but uh, as far as it goes with these guys here, Jarvis Landry is going to be a guy I'm going to give some blame to. And here's why. Because he had such a low profile in all of this. And the thing of it is, is, and as much as you're going to say I'm a gravy trainer by mentioning my favorite uh, athlete of all time, my hero, Steve Iserman, but that's the way that Jarvis Landry gets talked about. Or you said before about the San Francisco Giants that he's the Buster Posey of this team, okay? Uh, Buster Posey and Steve Iserman wouldn't have let a year like this happen. They would have exerted themselves... Jarvis Landry, uh, he might have felt like he was caught between his best friend and the team. I don't know. I don't care. That was the reputation you had. You were never out there doing the whole modesty thing of, oh, don't call me a great leader. Don't call me this. No, Jarvis Landry was perfectly happy to have everybody slobbing his knob when things were going great. Uh, but the minute we need him to step up and be a leader, 
nowhere to be found. So Jarvis Landry, particularly at the salary he's going to be at next year, his team needs help at wide receiver, but you know almost certainly they're going to be getting one in the first round here, uh, probably one of the two from Ohio State, and uh, that would be fine with me. That's the kind of explosiveness they need. You've already got Hollywood Higgins here to kind of do some of the underneath stuff. Uh, Landry, see you wouldn't want to be you. I don't have any particular animus, but it's a thing where he didn't live up to his own standard. He he stopped being the guy that he was in 2018. People talk about how he changed the culture of this team. Somewhere along the way, he stopped being this guy because the guy in 2018 wouldn't have let things get to the level they did. I give him some blame. The, the big two of Baker and OBJ. This is the thing of, of where uh, ESPN, FS1, the entire clickbait verse out there, whose fault is it? Whose fault is it where they want to pit these idiot fans against each other and the idiot fans and any fan base will take the bait when the only answer for something like this is, is it OBJ's fault or is it Baker's fault? The only answer that works is yes, because in, in the case of OBJ, he did do what you said. He did, uh, you know, he used his old man, plausible deniability. What a ballless thing to do like that. Hi, Bill. I can't control what my dad does. Uh... By the way, why, why are the Browns, and this is a whole thing of no institutional control. This is where the NCAA would be flagging them for lack of institutional control. Why are the Browns worse on social media type stuff than most other teams in the league? Uh, you, don't, you don't see this in a lot of other places here. But everybody on this team's got to go on there and get in their feelings like Jarvis Landry did. And, and just that part of it, I think, is unprofessional, to go public the way that he did. OBJ, it was a million times worse. He sulked before that. Uh, he he ran routes where he was doing it like freelance jazz instead of running to where he was supposed to run on the field. And then, you know, you look at these videos, look at this, he was wide open. Yeah, in an area where Baker wasn't going to be looking for him because he wasn't supposed to be there. Not, again, to let Baker off the hook because I already threw him under the bus before, and I will repeat that. I don't think he's the guy. I came around to what you were saying during the year. Uh, again, we have to hope for the best next year. Uh, as he comes back as Browns fans, because, uh, you know, getting, you know, any kind of an upgrade is impossible in this situation. It, it's a shite year in the college draft for it. Uh, unless the Hail Mary works out like Rodgers or even Matt Ryan, I would take, or anybody like that, but it ain't going to happen. So you're stuck with this guy for another year. Uh, but Baker, the divisiveness that comes with that, his, his wife doing her idiot crap on social media, don't blame Baker. It's like, this whole thing, the prima donna act for so many of these players, I, I think it was just a thing where it's not so much Stefanski and the coaches, but the players clearly, everything went to their heads after 2020. And it was one of those things where you, we, we all thought it would never happen again after 2019. We all thought, okay, been there, it's the cautionary tale, they've whatever. But here, here's the thing, if this team goes out and has an excellent year in 2022, we have to assume it's going to be another bad year in 2023 because, Chris, nobody remembers anything. Nobody. Re if, if this team could go out there and Baker and OBJ and everybody else could go out there and feel absolutely invincible uh, just because on paper they were a top five roster, oh, we're guaranteed the Super Bowl. Well, you thought you were in 2019. How'd that work out? No memory. And, and that's where even if this team turns it around in 2022 – you can't be sure it won't happen again the next year. Well, I think what you've, what you've struck at here is a lack of leadership on this team. Yes. 
Um, everything you just said boils down to this. Um, and I think you've got two things happening here. One, when you talk about the Wilson Newsom thing, you have young, this, this Gen X generation, uh, social media driven, putting every emotion and thought out there. I'm going to express um, myself. I'm going to express kids, myself. These kids just don't, they don't have, and I say kids. Right. You know, Mac Wilson is a man physically, but he's a child otherwise. Yes. You and I, as old men, would describe him as a child. Yes. Um, Newsom in the same way. Very smart kid. Went to Northwestern. Every time I hear him speak in an interview, I'm so impressed. But let's not forget the fact that he's a 21-year-old kid. Right. And social media is his, you know, is what these kids are, are, are on. And their mentality is very different um, in terms of how they process and interpret things. So then you get back to, uh, and I'm going to, I will say this. I know this town has clamored repeatedly, you know, about how amazing Jarvis Landry is. I have mostly bitten my tongue for these few years with Jarvis here in town because I didn't have a beef with him in any way. Right, me neither. But I never, I never believed him to be, well, first of all, no way near as good as the stats perhaps look. Right. B, um, I never considered him to be a leader the way I see leadership. People love to point to that yay rah rah speech in Hard Knocks. In front of the cameras. In the wide receiver room. In front of the cameras. I, I viewed that right from the jump as just playing to the camera bullshit. Right. That that was a manufactured moment that he went in there and tried his best to look like he was a great leader. Right. And even if you go back and you look at that speech at the time when I watched it, I thought it was cringeworthy. I, I thought there was an element of like, who are you to say a damn thing to anybody? And, and so I'm not surprised that when this year came down, a guy who, you know, multiple times in the season can't avoid not getting an unsportsmanlike penalty when he catches, catches a seven yard ball I'm not surprised that that guy fails at leadership when his best friend is fighting or has at least got beef with his quarterback. I don't think in large part this team has any real established leadership on it. People like to talk about Miles Garrett becoming a leader this year. I didn't see it that way. Right. I saw his little temper tantrums. You know, like he's calling out the defense and this and that and I, again, I thought I saw this as a Gen X sort of social media bullshit version of leadership. Um, I saw it as, as being spun as leadership by Miles Garrett after it was really him being a spoiled brat in his comments about things. I, I, again, I, I think this team actually lacks real leadership, and that's the biggest thing holding them back probably in that locker room. Yeah, you're right. Jarvis Landry's gone. They're not paying him 16 million bucks. Right. So and, and, and he can come out today and say he wants to be in Cleveland. Yeah, I'm sure he does if they're going to pay him 16 million. Right. But he knows they're not going to. He knows they're going to want to renegotiate that number. And he's going to use that as his reason, his ability to get out and try to snow the fans into thinking, you know, that to your point that he had really no part in all the unraveling this year. When, if you were a real leader, you wouldn't have let that happen. You would have gone to OBJ and you would have been like, what the hell man. Right. Um, and so 
we all know where this is going. The Browns will come in and they'll say, look, we'd love you to be here for the next three years at seven and a half million a year. And he's going to go screw you. And that'll be the end of it. They'll cut him. They'll take the one and a half million cap hit and they'll move on. Um, and I have some thoughts about that later as we get into this, because okay. I do want to spend some time actually talking about what should we should be doing in the off season. But I think lack of leadership is the biggest problem. And what, frustrates me is that I then didn't see it out of the head coach when I thought we needed to see it. And so that's also, that's very bothersome to me. Yes. I do think there are a few players on this team that have great potential for leadership. Right. I will tell you, I think JOK is a guy who has potential to become a real leader on this team. Yes. And I mean, an actual leader. Yes. Um, I think that, you know, I think guys like uh, Teller, have the ability to be a real leader on this team. Yeah. Uh, um, Batonio, not really. He's not a leader-y kind of guy. He's the guy, he's a big teddy bear that everybody loves, right? right. Like, he's not, he's, not a, he's not a problem. He's not a detractor. He's a great player, and everybody likes him. But he's not that guy. He doesn't give right? you that, right? yeah. Right. He doesn't give you that vibe, right? He wants everybody to like him. Right. Um. You know, I, I Nick Chubb could be that leader, but it's not his style. He's a very quiet introvert, so you're not going to get that out of him. You're only going to get that um, as a function of leading by example. Here's not a by as a dark horse thing. Let me ask you this: uh, Assuming they re-sign him, and there should definitely be interest. And, and again, I, I don't know how much leadership we got out of him this year. Although it's tough to when somebody's on a one-year deal. But Anthony Walker, is is that a guy that could maybe, if he was locked up for a couple of years, is, is that something we could look for from him? Um, I think he's a guy that does have a lot of leadership. I think the problem for Anthony Walker is he's not a starter anymore. Well, okay, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, he led the team in tackles. Right. But, that would, but I think they clearly see, and rightfully so, Phillips taking his spot. I don't know Phillips, about Phillips is, well, I do. I mean, I've, I've been a Phillips fan and I, I think if he can stay healthy, what I see out of that kid is he's better than Walker right now. But to your point, I think well, I think Walker is a leader. And I think that was part of the signing of him, right? Right. Was that they were like, this guy's a leader and we need this in our locker room after the previous year on defense. And I think that that was a smart signing. But I don't, I don't see them re-signing him unless it's one of these, you know, another one-year deal on the cheap kind of thing. I just don't see well, it. We've said some things here that I know would really piss off FDH senior editor uh, Jason Jones, uh, who is a big uh, Jarvis Landry guy, a big Jarvis Landry leadership guy. But to balance the scales cosmically, I'm going to say something uh, that would uh, give a big laugh to FDH lounge dignitary John Adams, who always, always guffaws anytime I repurpose this line that was once said about the country of Brazil. I'm going to say Jacob Phillips, and that's a guy I had enthusiasm for when he was drafted. Jacob Phillips, to, to paraphrase that old line about Brazil, he's the linebacker of the future, and he always will be. I mean, it's possible. I think, again, his two years have been robbed with injuries, and you may be right about that. Maybe injury, he's one of these guys that injuries just robs him of, of being what he could be. Um, when he's been healthy and on the field, I love what I've seen. Sure. Uh, um, I really have, and I think a combination of him and JOK is oh, yeah. dynamic. 
Oh yeah, is dynamic when they're healthy and on the field. The two of them, the speed, the range. I mean, it's exciting. Yeah. Um, and the tackling. I mean, Phillips and JOK are just—they are professional tacklers. Uh, but again, to your point, I mean, and I admit this: Phillips is a guy who, so far, has not shown us that he can stay healthy all season. Um, and so that's a fair. You know, that's a fair criticism, if you will. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, and look, we all know in the, in the game of football, there's some guys who are just unlucky that just get hurt and hurt. And some of it's, you know, it's it's physical genetics, whatever, right. predisposed. But there's some guys that just end up unlucky. And so, and, and hopefully that's not the case for him. Hopefully he comes in healthy, stays healthy for the preseason, and, and we get to see a full season of what he can be. Because I think he could be special especially when paired with JOK. Yeah, Um, here's a super old-school reference. Here's hoping that he's not the defensive equivalent of Lawyer Tillman. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Right. I mean, yes. Wow, good reference. Thank you. Very Um, old school. (laughs) So, so I, you know, again, let me just, let me just, and I know we sort of, we've been very negative. I I just want to, I got to say this. Yeah. There is, this team, this roster, for all the flaws, for all the problems this year, if, if the headspace can be found to be a way to be cleared and they can start off the season stronger this year, I mean, there's, there's still no doubt that this team is a, is a roster that can challenge for a championship. Yes. I, mean, I believe that, even with Baker. Like, again, that offensive line, you're going to get Conklin back. They're going to address depth on that line a little bit more again this offseason. Yeah. They're going to. You still have. You still have Hunt and Chubb. Yeah. Right. You still. I, I believe they'll re-sign and Joku. You know. Again, Hooper's been a disappointment like crazy. They'll try to figure a way out of his contract after this. And they should. Yeah. Keep in Joku. Um, but I, I see them going and getting another tight end in the draft this year mm-hmm. um, to try to re- restock that. Um, but again, right now you still you, you expect to have Harrison Bryant and and probably re-sign Njoku and have Hooper. So you have tight ends that have performed and can do well. Right. You've got a running game. You've got a, a, a very good top five offensive line. You you have uh, a secondary that you know again as the season went on got better and better and better. Right. Um, you still have Troy Hill. You still have Joe Johnson. I'm hoping they can find a way to keep MJ Stewart because he really just developed. I mean, he's really developed into a good player. Despite my misgivings, I mean, Ward had a great year. I mean, I went into last year questioning him. Yeah. Uh, and but he did have a dude. He had a he had an All Pro caliber season. And 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 I hope that that's not just like a like hey, it's like playing in the contract year, right? Right. Um. But, you know, you can only go with what, what you saw and what you had in your most recent sample size was, you know, he shut down Jamar Chase twice. I, I can't I can't really argue with the kid. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and my guess is they'll try to find a way to re-sign him. You know, I think Newsom, you know, again, he's got to learn social media. Don't start getting into it through fans, dude. Come on. Right. Um, but he was a top five as a rookie in, in terms of passes defended. Per PFF, right? I mean, he was he when again went healthy, missed a few games, but he was what I thought he was going to be. He, you know, then you throw in um, Greedy. Greedy had a pretty good bounce back year, right? 
Um, he gave us more than I think either one of us believed we were going to get out of him. Sure. Uh, um, so again, Delpit, he had a great year. Right. I mean, I just so I look at the secondary and I go, it's pretty good. Again, Phillips and JOK healthy. Need to add a little bit more depth, maybe a little veteran depth, whether it's re-sign Walker or maybe bring somebody else in. I don't know. Defensive uh, line's the big bugaboo, especially the tackles. We thought they were going to have really good depth at tackles. Uh, that is questionable at best at this point. Got to upgrade that in the offseason. Oh, Hugh, I mean, the line has to be the focus. Yes. Replacing Clowney, go ahead and assume he's not coming back. Right. Um, you know, and then the defensive tackle problems. McDowell's situation is just like, dude, really? Yeah. I mean, you know, you just resurrected your life. And then what was that? So, you know, I, yeah, we have problems across the line. And that's not going to be easy to fix. Um, you know, they're going to have to draft. They're going to have to draft one or two. They're going to have to go get somebody out in free agency. That's going to be a real challenge uh, to, to fix. Uh, they're going to have to do something there. But you know, again, I, this team has talent. I mean, look at all the ta- look at all the areas that we've just identified. Yep. Um, on both sides of the ball, that are solid. So Browns fans can't sit back and be like, "Well, you know, this is you know we're we're in for another rough season." But you know, if Baker is fully healthy and they can get back to calling plays a little better and scheming a little better, you know, again, Baker's already shown you, you, you know you can win eight games with a broken down. 27th ranked quarterback we won eight games i mean imagine if he played at a rank a 15th ranked level which would basically be garoppolo level right garoppolo level this team last year would have won 11 games yeah okay i mean so we're all sitting here crying in our soup but the reality is is that this team has enough talent that 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 a, a couple of tweaks and, and they could be right back into contending for the AFC North and the playoffs, et cetera. And I, and I actually, I'm going to just, I'll go out on a limb. Maybe I'm a fool, but I'm going to, I have to find a way to believe that they can figure out a way to right the ship. And maybe it's going to be getting rid of OBJ's best friend. You know, clearly they picked Baker over OBJ in this whole thing. The front office and the coaches did. Yeah. And, and probably, you know, what choice do you have, right? I right. Mean, you know, he's got a he's got a focus, and and they, they all as a team have to get off the social media. But I, you know, some way somehow this team has got to recenter itself, and there's got to be some leadership. And and but I think there's enough talent here to win and go to the playoffs again. There's no doubt in my mind. Well, um, the thing of it is, though. But here here's the thing: of if, if you use the analogy of uh, Super Bowl. Uh, slash WrestleMania. I want to be in the Super Bowl. I want to be in the main event of WrestleMania. Well, when you look at quarterbacks in the AFC, you got a couple of main eventers already there. You got Mahomes, you got Burrow, you got Allen, you got Herbert. Now, uh, the Chargers proved that the Chargers will always charger no matter who the head coach is, so there's that. You put a little bit of an asterisk on that, but even the best version of Baker, you got three to four main event quarterbacks sitting right in front of you there. Uh, and you might have to make your way through two of them in the playoffs. So that's going to be an issue as well. Well, I, I, there's no way. I, you're right about that. We, we don't have a quarterback like those teams that you just mentioned that is as dynamic. We, ju- we don't. And, and again, I, I suspect that the answer is Baker is not, the long, is not the long-term answer. Yes. 
but but next year, and I believe the front office will explore trying to upgrade. Okay. Um, Hopefully. But I, 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 oh no, I believe they will. But I don't. I just don't think it's going to be there. Right. I just don't think there's going to be an option. It's tough. That's going to be worth giving up assets, substantial assets, to to what? I mean, is it really an upgrade to go from a healthy Baker to a Garoppolo? No. No. I mean, Baker's ceiling is higher than his. Right. You know, so what would be the point of that? I mean, is it worth, you know, is it worth getting a Matt Ryan? Like, who's at the end? Like, hey, no? Listen, I, I would take I would take on fumes Matt Ryan over Baker, but the thing of it is, is you got to look at what it would cost you to do that. You, you, there's no way in hell you're going to part with a first-round pick. But by the way, too, when we talk about everything the Bengals went through this year, another lesson in this, I talk about this every year for, for, for the draft, this year in particular. Draft an effing kicker. Fourth or fifth round, do what you got to do. Look at how it worked out for the Bengals. And don't cut them the first time it goes bad. Who was it a couple of years ago? Was it Siebert that Gonzalez. they had? Okay, uh, Gonzalez. Gonzalez. And then like before that, and then Siebert. Okay. No, I've been. I, I listen. I've been an advocate for drafting kickers. I always thought you were the guy that no you know, used to used to crap on me for it. I'm no, like, no, no. That's worth the fifth round pick. Yes, yes, I, I agree. Because games are won and lost with kickers. Yes, I. I, I, I mean. I crapped on uh, who was it? Was it Botch Davis who who went for the uh, long snapper in the fifth round? I mean that kind of stuff. I know, or was it Mangenius or whoever? So when, when when they did that kind of stuff, I don't like that. But a kicker, absolutely. You saw how it, you saw with this past year on the Browns how it really hurts you not having one. You saw with the Bengals, particularly in the playoffs, how you need to have one. I'm a huge believer they got to upgrade there as well. And, and yeah, I mean. Again, this is a Browns team that could make the playoffs, go on a decent run again next year. Once again, to go full circle here, it is an even-numbered year. And, you know, the last two times out, that's gone fairly well. And, you know, to, to bring it full circle here on apportionment of blame, I, I don't think anything with this organization is completely blameless. But the front office, Barry, whatever, probably the least out of anybody. And the jobs that he has done in the offseason, putting the teams out there, getting the talent, I do have confidence between the draft and free agency uh, that they are going to have us feeling as enthusiastic as we did coming into this past year based on the roster formation. Yeah, I think Barry, I think Barry and Dee Podesta know what they're doing. Uh, I, I, I really do. I, I've, I have been, I've believed in Dee Podesta hiring since the, since day one. Again, it's process and analytics. It's not about football, hockey, baseball, whatever. And so, again, why I had faith in the Stefanski hiring. Um, yeah, I believe it. I, I have no doubt that Andrew Perry and that front office, that that, that uh, scouting team is going to do a good job in identifying talent. I think, by and large, since he's, you know, in two years, he's done, he's made way more good moves than bad moves. Right. right? Um, I think a few of the bad moves were just a little bit of desperation, like the Hooper signing. Right, trying to jumpstart a team that was morbid and dead and lifeless. Right. So I understand when you have the cap space, taking a shot on on a big contract like that, it didn't work out. But I fully understood it at the time; it was supportive. Right. Um, so I have a lot of faith in Barry, which is why I believe he will explore smartly um, all the options. And we he's shown us a propensity for not overpaying for players. 
to figuring out their market value and sticking to it. How do you like how do you like that, Higgins? You know, you, you can have fantasies of seven million a year, et cetera, and the Browns are like, well anyway, here's one and a half million dollars. Right. And then when it when it when the whole league flips and turns once back around the clock once and you have to come back and go, Okay, I guess I'll take that. Right. Um, you know, he's shown that he knows what he's doing. Right. Uh so I you have to have at this point faith. That, that he's got to have a plan on how to sort of right the ship a little bit in some of the, in some of the, in terms of the talent. Um, so that, that's actually just not a concern. I, I think, you know, when we get into this draft, um, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to probably feel pretty good about what they do. I think we've certainly been able to figure out a profile, whether it's the free agents and, and his draft picks on the type of players that they focus on in terms of age um, metrics and everything. We're, we're starting to get a very good idea when we get into a spot in a in, in the draft in each round. Like, you know, who are the guys that are likely to be on their board? I think we, we're now getting a very good feel for the type of players they're looking for. Um, so this this draft should be interesting, and and I think we have an opportunity to get some talent. You mentioned earlier that you know wide receiver. I think that. You know, wide receiver is clearly at the top of the of the need list, um, and I think that he'll address that with probably you know some kind of veteran free agent or trade pickup, mm-hmm. um, along with a draft pick at the top. So um, you know, to me, the four receivers that I would focus on at that number twelve spot, one at least one or two of them will be available, um, and in no particular um, order. Um, you know, you're talking about Burks from Arkansas, London from USC, and then the two Ohio State guys, Garrett and Alave. And one of those guys will be there. Yeah. And, and we don't know how they'll rank the four of them, um, you know, ultimately. Um, but I, I, I honestly, right now, I like all four of those yeah. players. Probably and I haven't, ranked, I haven't in my own head yet or on paper ranked them and how I would weigh them. Um, I'm still sort of looking at, I've been looking at a little film, you know, in spare time, you know, some, some game clips and watching these guys and, and sort of, sort of studying up on them. Um, I think if any one of those four, we got in that spot, we'd walk away going, okay, we feel good about it. But I think that he'll first start with a veteran. And, and I think the two veterans that you, we should, fans should look at that are to me the most likely that he would make a, some sort of a deal for are, um, you know, obviously Calvin Ridley is going to be out there. Right. Although I do worry about his mental state. True. Um, I don't know what was going on with him last year. Um, a little bothersome. Yeah, that's the X factor. Um, but I think the guy, the guy that I think that people should real should think about, um, that, that he may make a move to go and take one of those extra picks that we picked up, um, because of uh, the GM signing of the uh, by the Vikings, the versatile uh, hiring. Yeah, we we got those picks, those extra picks, and we know they're in a rebuild mode. I think a guy like Brandon Cooks could be the veteran production guy to replace Landry. And granted, you know, similar salary, yes. Yeah. But I think a far more productive player than Landry. More upside. Uh Yep, and so I think that you much more upside. So I think you know there's a possibility we're going to cut Landry loose 
I could see us taking one of you know one or you know one of those picks or a pick or two. You know, maybe it's that third and a and in a you know a sixth or something, and sending it off to Houston for Cooks. That's the kind of move I would look for them to do, mm-hmm. um, and then go and draft um, a, a, one of these young explosive receivers uh, in the you know in the first round in that in that twelve slot, and and so then okay there you go right you've got Peoples Jones you've got the you've got Schwartz coming into year two learning the league learning to be more than a fast guy. You know, you've got you can keep Higgins. Yep, I um, want to do that. He's and, he's the he, Brian Brennan of this team. Well, Higgins is basically Landry. I mean, what kind fans of. have never understood is that they're the same damn guy. Essentially, they they, they provide the same damn statistics. Yes. I mean, in terms of ability and after the catch, and they both you know likely you know whatever. I don't need to get into it, but they're the same guy. You, right. You can dump Landry and you have him in Higgins. Right. Um, Peoples Jones continues to develop Schwartz. Then you bring in a Cooks, a Cook, and Brandon Cook, and then you have, and then you get like a, let's say you get Burks out of Arkansas, a big, fast, open the field up. Uh, he can beat anyone downfield. You know, maybe it's him, maybe it's London. I like Drake London because God, he reminds me. It's like, it's like Cooper Cup, man. Right. Um, I think he's a guy that could potentially be that kind of guy. Garrett Wilson can do everything. Olave is probably the weakest of the four, and and you know he'd be a killer slot guy, right? Um, so I just you know again I think that's how you can very easily with a trade, and and then maybe you go and you pick up a you know a, you bring back a Kaderil Hodge or you you add some guys into this locker room that you did like that you didn't want to lose a guy like that. Right. And, and next thing you know, we go in and like, we've got a, a, the receiving cores easily rebuilt. Not yep. that hard to redo it. Yep. I mean, and Wilson is probably my first pick, but really out of those four, I don't think you can go wrong. And again, and I haven't watched uh, as much film on a couple of these guys. I too will be getting into that. More so in the time ahead, and of course, uh, we are not too far off, uh, strange though it may seem, not too far off from when me, you, and Jason Jones will be previewing the 2022 NFL Draft and then recapping it subsequently, so all of that to look forward to uh, in the time ahead, but uh, yeah, very uh, very therapeutic to uh, you know bitch about uh, the Browns here, get a lot of this stuff off our chests, and uh, again, you know, break it down for all the people outside of here. I mean, for better or for worse, this team has been a team, as I said, of national fascination since 2016. And there's so many bad takes out there that uh, it's necessary to do a segment like this and, and just kind of clear up some of the things from people that are on the ground. You've always got the best perspective when you're in the market where things are happening and you can see this, especially in, in a time now of like all of the national bloviation. Uh, for especially the NFL and the NBA and all the hot takes crap out there. Uh, all these narratives really kind of take root. And the whole, you know, is it is it the fall of this person or this person? Debate commence. And, and as we talked about today, significantly more complicated than that. Really, nobody's hands are clean on this whole thing. Some hands are dirtier than others, but nobody's hands were clean on this whole disaster. Well, that's right. There's a 53-man roster and countless coaches and front office people. That means that there, there's a, there's there's 80 people that blame goes around, right. right? I mean, it's just to your point, some more than others, but it wasn't one thing or one person. Um, and 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 I guess the optimist in me wants to say that despite everything that went wrong, 
this team still won eight games and going into the last couple of weeks had a chance to make the playoffs despite all the mess that they were. And, and I don't think that they're so far gone as long as they can establish some leadership back in that locker room. And hopefully the front office and the coaches can identify what those changes need to be. And I, and I think to that point, that's why you're going to see number 80. Bye-bye. Yeah. Um, and, and so, um, you know, I don't think this team is circling the drain the way the national media desperately wants it to be. Right. Um, so that they get, they, get, they get the excitement of being able to trash the Browns. Um, I think this team could very easily rebound and, and we'll see what happens in the draft and free agency. But, you know, I, I do have a lot of faith in Barry, um, to sort of right the ship and, and figure it out. Yeah, I do as well. And, uh, therein lies the hope, uh, for Browns fans. I, I think it'll be an even better roster coming in the next year. And I just have to hope that, uh, again, uh, the one thing we really kind of identified, I think that popped out when we were talking about here is leadership is that it's got to be an improved situation. It's going to be addition by subtraction, not having Beckham in there. But uh, every year, you're always going to have challenges. You're always going to have issues that come up, and they need guys to be stepping up. They need guys to be getting in there and diffusing situations and uh, trying to do more of that. And that's one of the, uh, the, the, the quieter areas of improvement. It's something that we're not going to notice as much from the outside. Will you notice things getting better or not getting better? as far as uh, stupid crap escalating into uh, major issues again. But, uh, again, always a pleasure, Chris. Uh, even when the subject matter is uh, kind of piss poor as far as the way that things went, uh, as, as I made the comment, I was, you know, I was talking, I made the comment to FDH Lawrence Dignitary Jake Digman when we spent uh, three segments crapping on all of the awful booking of modern-day WWE. And I said to him, I said, you know, I said, it, it's, it's fun just to do this kind of stuff. It would be fun to get on here and talk positives, but it's fun also to belch out bile about all the things that go wrong. And the, the Cleveland Browns 2021 are as close to WWE quality booking as you can get these days, Chris. So uh, much the same. It was, it was a lot of fun breaking it down with you, even if it was painful to sit through this past year. Yeah, this season definitely made me feel like I got hit with a folding chair every Sunday. Yes. <laughs> Here, here's hoping we're wielding the chairs on other franchises next year. We can only hope. Thanks very much, Chris, and thank you, everybody, for joining us for FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1450.